Welcome to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. I'm your host, Timmy G, providing your weekly dose of insight and inspiration for mental and emotional well-being. Are you ready for your weekly brain bath? Let's go. Mental health news from around the globe. Welcome to Talk. I'm your host, Timmy G. Looking at the news, this from Bustle.com. B. Arthur wants to make mental health care accessible and affordable for all. There's a certain image of successful people that we've been sold over and over and over. They all get up before the crack of dawn. They all have highly specialized and meticulous habits And, of course, they've got an insatiable thirst for the hustle. Tech entrepreneur and licensed therapist B. Arthur defies this image at almost every turn. While she certainly caught a hankering for the hustle, she's got blinders between her and every other how-to guide for future business leaders And despite some past stumbles, she clearly wouldn't have it any other way. She says, oh my gosh, pajamas as day wear was literally my idea. In stark defiance of a recent work-from-home wardrobe suggestion involving $645 loafers, Arthur frequently works from home in pajamas or with her co-founder out of New York's branch of The Wing. But today she flew where the wind took her. From a shopping trip to DSW to getting her wig fixed to her friend's office where she's now sitting in a t-shirt and ripped jeans. She admits with a carefree chuckle, I didn't even shower today. Though she's the founder of a tech company, speaking with Arthur feels more like chatting with a long-lost friend than an intimidating titan of industry. And yet the 35-year-old currently runs a virtual therapy company that she co-founded called The Difference, which uses Amazon's Alexa to set users up with on-demand therapy sessions the moment something frustrating, upsetting, or sad happens. As an alternative to waiting for regular therapy sessions, which can be costly and tough to schedule during actual moments of crisis. There needs to be an affordable therapy option for people who don't have insurance that's easy to access, that takes out all the barriers to entry, she says. Also including the fact that therapy sessions can be $150, 200 even $300 per session. And also the fact that, according to a 2014 study, only 55% of insurance providers cover mental health care. I think the world will be a happier, healthier place if people have the freedom and the control and the power and the peace in their lives to make therapy work for them. Her previous company, In Your Corner, also focused on opening up that access by creating a woman-centric community and making therapy available online. But she didn't just appear at this intersection between tech and psych overnight. Arthur had a whirlwind of a professional life before finding her way here, 
going through four different careers, from a stint at Bloomberg, to working in art galleries, to hustling as a personal trainer, to the real estate world, before grad school, where she discovered her true professional love, psychology. Even when I first moved to New York in 2005, I was very ambitious as an undergrad. I took all these unpaid internships that gave me credit. I was a dummy who wanted to be an adult and know what I was doing, so I crashed and burned a lot because even though I was really ambitious, I didn't know what I wanted to do, she says. And that lack of knowing was a major problem. She says, I wasn't getting hired, had all this personality, all this extra energy, but I also quit a lot because I'm kind of a baby, and if I don't like doing it, I'm not going to do a good job. So I just didn't last very long. I'd either get fired or I'd quit. She finally found her way to something that spoke to her, speaking to others. If you look at my history, all of them have been client-facing, art, financial advising, real estate. They're all client-facing roles. So psych was like the ultimate. Literally, I just get to talk to people. I'm a professional people person. After grad school, that discovery drove her to start her first claim to fame, In Your Corner, which would hit, was hailed across the internet for its devotion to making therapy accessible. Though it eventually shuttered, the attempt served Arthur her first slate of professional wins. But, much like her spontaneous workday, she wasn't planning to create a full-on startup, necessarily. She just wanted to pay her student loans. She says, I was working as a domestic violence counselor, making $38,000 a year. Couldn't even afford to pay my rent. So I started the company out of necessity. I was going to starve. My student loans cost twice as much as that because I went to Columbia, adding that even the company landing coveted spot in Y Combinator, a funding group that helped fund uh, the launches of Airbnb, Twitch, Dropbox, and Reddit, wasn't something that she planned for. I walked ass backwards into tech when I got into Y Combinator. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. I've never even seen this before. She was the first black woman to be accepted, and she didn't even know what it was, much like me in this moment. I always say I'm lucky I didn't. If I had known what it was and what it was for, I wouldn't have applied. When In Your Corner failed, however, Arthur was devastated. The company that wasn't supposed to be a company had become her whole life, and when it wasn't anymore, the earth seemed to fall out from under her. I was devastated. When we died, I died, she admits. I gained all this weight, and I cried for most days for a full six months. I was just a different person. But when the fog started to lift a bit, one piece remained clear. The mission wasn't the problem. There were other ways to accomplish this democratization of therapy. When I came out of it, my mom said, just because it didn't work out doesn't mean it didn't work. And to this day, I still get messages from Australia and Dubai. It's kind of like what I think about the difference now. This is bigger than me. Now, Arthur, who boldly wrote an article for Forbes all about why her first therapy startup failed, is learning from her past mistakes and learning more about the world she's found herself in. Despite the fact she's learning more, she's not about to do it the way she's supposed to, even if that means letting her coworkers, colleagues, or investors know when she's got a gap in knowledge. In a meeting, if I don't know what that means, I'll just say, I don't know what that means. Please tell me. I'm not going to nod along and miss the opportunity to learn, 
because that's where I screwed up the last time, trying to figure out too much on my own. She's also committed to continually being the person in the room, wanting to learn and learning through different types of results, being honest about who she is. Being humble, being very open about what your strengths are and what you don't know will make people more likely to help you, she says, surely sending a shiver down the spines of CEOs everywhere. Of course, the one thing you can expect about Arthur is that when you wait patiently until the very end of the conversation to sheepishly point out that she shares a name with a famous golden girl, she will tell you that she's heard it many times before. You are listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web cfrc.ca. If you want to listen to past episodes of Talk, simply go to the CFRC Podcast Network and you can see a collection of many different topics. Also, some great programmers here at CFRC can also be found at that same link, the CFRC Podcast Network. This also from Bustle.com, the cost of mental health hospitalization is part of what makes mental health care inaccessible. Even though stigma around mental illness has lessened in recent years, mental health care is widely known to be inaccessible, even for the very privileged. In a recent article for Nylon, actor Evan Rachel Wood shared her experiences with depression and a suicide attempt that showed her how inaccessible the system can be. Her experience is an important story to tell, both to destigmatize mental illness, but also to show how hard it was to find the help she needed, or as she put it, the good mental health she needed. I needed to find a place that had the right treatments for me and could take me immediately and discreetly, she wrote. Eventually, Wood was able to find not just a bed, but a private room, and it wasn't cheap. Mental health shouldn't be a luxury for the rich, she wrote. Felt like I barely made it in by the skin of my teeth, and I am privileged. Imagine how hard it is with no health insurance or money or resources. I'm one of those people without insurance who found myself in a hospital after a suicide attempt in 2005. I'd been living in New York for about a year, making terrible pay, and the job I had at the time didn't offer insurance. Without insurance, I was unable to afford my antidepressants, so I'd stopped taking them. At the time, my parents were paying my rent, and I didn't want to admit that I was making such little money that I couldn't afford my medication either. While in the midst of struggling with withdrawal from these meds, which was mentally, emotionally, and physically debilitating, I found out I was pregnant at my annual exam, something my mother paid for, and that I was about 11 weeks along. Although I was completely at peace with my choice to abort, I never took into the consideration the way my hormones would change from being pregnant to not being pregnant, and how that would affect my mental state. After I attempted suicide that morning, I found myself in the back of an ambulance on the way to a hospital, where I was admitted involuntarily. As Wood also wrote in her piece, I only had girl interrupted and one flew over the cuckoo's nest as my reference points for what a mental hospital looked like. But unlike Wood, I didn't go voluntarily. I did not get a private room, and I spent the first few days telling anyone who had listened that I didn't belong there. My family may be financially comfortable, but not so comfortable that they could easily drop that kind of money, getting me into a, a facility. Firmly believing I should be someplace else, I spent the next few days to myself. I refused to engage in group therapy and all other activities. What I didn't know was then was that my parents, 
whom I wasn't talking to during the hospitalization, were doing everything they could to get me out. The doctors and social workers wanted to keep me for 30 days, but as each day added up, roughly $3,500 a day, my parents wanted me out. If you do the math, $3,500 a day for 30 days is just over 100 k My family was not going to be committing to that. I also didn't feel like I was getting better. I wasn't receiving the treatment I needed, and every day I became more aware of the financial burden on my family. One morning, I woke to a team of doctors who said I needed to engage in activities with the others. If I didn't show I was making progress, my stay would be longer. At this point, I was coming up to 10 days at the hospital, or $35,000. After 13 days, my parents did finally get me out by signing a form that said they released the hospital of any liability if anything happened to me in their care. It wouldn't be until years after this experience that I'd fully realized that not just my mental health care, but all health care is only for the rich. And that is in no way an exaggeration. Trying to pinpoint an exact price per diem for, success, for such access to crisis mental health care is hard. It varies based on what you're being treated for, how long you'll be there, what extra fees come into play, and of course, from facility to facility. When I was discharged, I was handed an invoice that looked like it could have been a down payment on a house. Not only was it the $3,500 a day, give or take, for the 13 days, but then additional fees, ultimately somewhere between $30,000 and $50,000. In my case, because I didn't have insurance, the social workers negotiated with a charity office that was affiliated with the hospital which wrote off a substantial portion of the bill. It was just a matter of proving that I simply didn't have the money. Unfortunately, receiving treatment is a privilege that is just deeply unjust. Dr. Dini Eichenstein, a licensed clinical psychologist in L.A., tells Bustle, Everyone deserves access to care. But the issue, Eichenstein says, is systemic. Many mental health professionals may take on six figures in student loan debt, not to mention upward of four or five years in unpaid training to get their degrees. That leaves providers in a difficult position if they are not economically privileged themselves. The thinking, at least by insurance companies, is that these costs can be passed on to the patients. But according to the 2016 census, 8.6% of the population doesn't have insurance. We're speaking about the United States here, not Canada, but I'm sure there's... Uh, many barriers for people in Canada as well, getting uh, timely and comprehensive mental health support. Uh, that may, may not seem like a lot, but 8.6% represents 27.3 million people. Do we really want to just pass that financial burden onto them? Part of what makes therapy expensive is that many insurance companies reimburse therapists at rates that are lower than market rate, causing many therapists to choose not to take insurance and rather be out-of-network licensed psychologists. Unfortunately, this drives the cost up for people seeking therapy. Another issue is how the health care system often treats mental health care separately from physical health care. If health insurance companies would treat mental health equally with physical health, we'd see a lot of improvement. This, according to licensed clinical psychologist Andrea Liner. But as many as her colleagues have found... Insurance plans just refuse to treat the two illnesses equally. Mental health sessions are limited 
and most practitioners take a significant pay cut when dealing with insurance. According to mentalhealth.gov, the majority of small group health insurances, which include plans that are sold on the market uh, for people whose employers don't offer insurance, both mental health and substance abuse services are offered. But while there's a great step in the right direction, there are still large deductibles to deal with, co-payments that can also be very expensive, and the most infuriating aspect of all, mental health patients in many cases are only allowed a certain number of sessions with a therapist. If a patient needs more sessions, their doctor has to decide if this is necessary, then apply for it. There's no guarantee that these sessions will be approved. While many forms of mental health care are still financially inaccessible, some professions are trying to change that. For those who can't afford therapy, they might start by locating their local universities and seeing if they have a training clinic. For those therapists who choose to work with low-income patients, there are programs like the National Health Services Corps that will also help them pay off those school debts. Clinics where mental health professionals get their training can really help when it comes to low-income families who either don't have insurance or Medicare. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. Our last article for today comes from the Montreal Gazette right here in Canada. Uh, Where are we? After accidents, suicide is the leading cause of death for young people in Canada. By age 25, one in five of them will have struggled with mental health illness. In her second year at Sejep, 18-year-old Julie Zakis Marks tumbled from 90s to 60s as she went from being a highly motivated student to one unable to concentrate in class or study. I thought I was lazy. I blamed myself, she recalled in a recent interview. She also lost weight, a result of losing interest in food and lost interest in a lot of activities in general. Her parents noticed something was up. Both had been doctors in Egypt before the family immigrated to Quebec years earlier. They approached me and tried to convince me that it could be a depression, she recalls. Now 24, a doctoral student in psychology. And she says, at first I was in denial. No, that's not me, I said. I'm a strong person. Doctor gave her a diagnosis of depression. She took a semester off school and mindfulness and meditation helped, and Zeki was able to recover without needing medication or therapy or other treatment. Years later, the practice of mindfulness and meditation still helped her to stay grounded. Exercise helps too, she said. After graduating from John Abbott College and entering the Université de Montréal as an undergrad, it hit me that a lot of people might be going through a hard time without knowing it that involves their mental health. She says, I wanted to be part of an organization in which I could talk openly about mental health and speak to others about it. In her research, Zeki came across Jack.org, a student-led charitable organization working on Canadian high schools, college and university campuses to start conversations about mental health and work to break down barriers to positive mental health. Its goal is to change the way people think about mental health, get them to understand how to recognize if they or their peers are struggling and be comfortable asking for help. She joined in 2016 and helped start a Jack.org chapter on the university campus. A network of more than 2,500 young leaders with Jack.org has been professionally trained so far. She is one of about 200 students from across Canada 
who will attend the, attend the organization's annual Jack Summit on Mental Health in Toronto from March 1st to the 3rd. What motivated me, she says, the most to join Jack.org is a lack of knowledge surrounding mental health and mental illness. We say we're going to the doctor and with whatever is related to physical health, we're not ashamed. But with our mental health, we feel a lot of shame, a lot of judgment. We tell only a few people, yet it is part of our overall health. The organization is named for Jack Windler, a Queen's University student who died by suicide at the age of 18 in 2010. It was started by his parents, who learned only after their son's death that he'd stopped attending classes four months earlier. He'd grown withdrawn and spent more time alone in his dorm room. His peers either hadn't noticed or didn't know enough about mental health to recognize the warning signs. After accidents, suicide is the leading cause of death for young people in Canada. And few, will, few people dealing with mental health issues will receive the help that they need to get better. Zeki says, I remember so many talks about how to eat healthy, but no one was telling me what it was like to be struggling with your mental health. We should be aware of the language and behavior and what might be a sign of struggle. If someone is saying, nobody cares about me, that could be a sign of struggle. They stop going out with friends or to basketball practice, anything that feels off. Just being there and listening, creating a safe space where someone can open up is important, not trying to give advice. Also, check yourself. Are you being judgmental? Say what you're seeing. I notice that you've been isolating yourself. You need to show that you care. If you think the person is at risk of doing imminent harm to themselves or other people, you have to say something. It could save their lives. Obviously, you're not their therapist or their doctor, but you need to connect them to help. If you're concerned that you're having a mental health issue, look for intense feelings of sadness or frustration that you cannot contain, Zeki said, and if you're still feeling them after a couple of weeks, it's time to act. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. Also, if you are a college university student, you can you can access a website called Good to Talk. You can check out the website, Good to Talk. I believe it's Good Number Two Talk. They offer free confidential services for students, university students, college students dealing with stress, depression, anxiety, different issues like that. So if you're struggling right now, it might be wise to Google Good to Talk, check out their website, and call the numbers available. That could be a very very helpful thing for you today. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. In 2017, CFRC Radio celebrates 95 years of creating campus community radio in Kingston, Ontario. Over the last 95 years, CFRC's governance has evolved. Once supervised by Queen's University and later by Queen's Alma Mater Society, since 2014, CFRC has been an independent, self-governing, not-for-profit organization. Its board of directors has representation from Queen's University, the AMS and SGPS, CFRC Radio Club, and the Kingston community. Learn more about CFRC, Canada's longest-running campus and community radio station at cfrc.ca. Telephone Aid Line Kingston is a crisis, distress, befriending, and information listening service based in Kingston. Talk is confidential, non-judgmental, and anonymous. We are a safe place to call when you don't know where to turn. 
To reach our aid line between 7 p.m. and 3 a.m., call 613-544-1771. For volunteering information, please email talkrecruitment at gmail.com. Let's get personal. Our talk feature interview. to talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web cfrc.ca. If you want to access past episodes of talk, simply search the CFRC podcast network. Several great talk episodes covering a variety of different topics, anxiety, depression, wearing too many hats, forgiveness. The list is long and fruitful. Many great uh, interviews. And if you want to check out some of our other incredible programmers. There are many to see and search at the CFRC Podcast Network. Today's topic is going to look at needs. This has become a theme in my life recently, and so whenever I feel touched by something, I feel compelled to share through the lens of my own understanding. And so last week, if you heard the show, it was about forgiveness, but not in the traditional sense of our understanding of the word forgiveness. It was more looking at how all the little grudges that we build up over the course of a day or a week or a year even begin to weigh us down. And traditionally, where we maybe have thought of forgiveness as this grand ceremony where we need to call somebody up and tell them that we forgive them for something that's happened long into the distant past. Dealing with grudges is different because it still requires us to let go so that we're not carrying it. And so that those accumulating grudges do not continue to weigh us down and we can be free of all those small but not insignificant moments where we chose to hold on to something. And I know in your own life, if you're thinking right now of some grudges that maybe you're holding toward others in your life, could be family, could be friends, could be coworkers, could be strangers. Often it's strangers. But we get so amped up during the course of our day, and it can be just as toxic as one of those more traditional infractions that we can experience that maybe is long into the past and we've just come to the realization that it's still affecting us. And so my focus last week was really about making it a priority to learn and or continue to let go of all the little grudges that build up in the course of your week. And that that is an important step toward forgiveness and freeing yourself of the negative energy that that can 
can bring into your sphere of influence, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with other people, your feelings of disappointment, how festering disappointments can lead to depression, and you just get stuck, you get paralyzed. And so I don't want to see that happen for you because I've been cognizant of how it has been operating in my own life recently, maybe even over the last year. It's recent. If you want to look at recent and consider the last year as a recent uh, time frame. And so today, with that in mind, last week in Mindwell, we looked at the topic of needs. And as an adult, whether you're 25 or you're 55, or some of you more mature folks, 65 even, we all have needs. And sure, when we think of needs, it's like, well, I, I need a roof over my head so I can be protected when I sleep. I need food and water to sustain my body. And I need social interaction. And so those are the basics. And beyond that, we start as individuals, we diversify and get a little bit more uh, discerning when it comes to what our individual needs are and how we go about getting those needs met. But if you're somebody like me, who many, many years ago, when I was younger, uh, internalized the message that in order for me to survive and be safe, I need to put my needs aside and not create conflict so that my security is taken care of, then what happens is subconsciously, even though intellectually as an adult, as you're going through your life, and you know that intellectually you have needs and you can articulate that statement and it makes perfect sense, subconsciously often and at a deep emotional level, if you felt that you went through something as a younger person and and were convinced because of that situation that it would be better for you to put your needs aside in order to be safe, healthy, taken care of, then there's a part of you that's not operative later in life. And often if you're if you're somebody who's interested in personal growth and, and evolving and becoming more whole and healing some of the wounds of the past and understanding and recognizing that there is great connectivity between what has gone on before and what is happening now, then it's incumbent upon us to look deeply within ourselves and ask some difficult questions and some inspiring questions as well. And so recently I came to the realization that At a deep emotional level, I'd put some some sense of that aside many, many years ago. And I've just, in a sense, more recently, been taking back some of the power that I gave up by relinquishing my belief in the importance of my needs and articulating them and standing up for them. And so I've developed a list here of 10 things around 
needs. Some guideposts, if you will, for helping you to move through sometimes the messy relationship that we have between ourself and our needs and then being able to take those needs and put them out into the world. Because once we put them out into the world, that opens them up to scrutiny, rejection, possibly shaming, more hurt, more wounds, more trauma. But if we can find the courage to get those wounds, or sorry, those needs out into the world, then what happens is, is it creates the opportunity for more beauty and more joy and more connection and more trust. And so if you feel that you've put some needs aside because years ago, I don't know if you're a Coldplay follower, but there's a song they have, You Lost Your Trust. Maybe many years ago, there was a part of you that lost your trust in the world, in other people, in a parent, in a friend. And so you close that part of yourself off. And so you are less because of that. You close that part of yourself off for protection and survival. But now as an adult, we must summon the courage to reclaim our wholeness so that the world can get our best. And our best doesn't mean contributing 25% of ourselves to any given situation. It's learning how to give maybe 100% of ourselves to most situations and being able to discern which parts of me are required in any given moment and to what degree. But if we've completely closed off a section of our hearts or our minds, our souls, if you want to go there, then the world is less because we're less and we have a symbiotic relationship with the world and with the people around us. And when I say the world, I don't mean like, I'm not necessarily meaning like seven and a half billion planet world. I mean, just like the world in terms of your immediate surroundings, your local living space in your home, in your workplace, the places you go when you carry on about your day. And so I want to look at this list now. And I recognize and I fully acknowledge that as I read through some of these, and I want you to be cognizant of this as well, that your intellectual capacities will quickly cast the statement aside as self-evident, of course I know that, and of course I'm good at getting my needs met. There's nothing new here. I'm moving on to the next station on CFRC because this isn't really grabbing me. And I want you to pause and recognize that when we continue to approach a situation from the intellectual mind, when what is actually required is bringing forth 
the emotional part of ourselves to be able to connect with what it is that we are looking and perceiving, looking at and perceiving, that is, it's a much different experience. If it is our emotional self that was wounded and closed off in the past, engaging with this list purely through the intellectual side of yourself is not going to enable you to reclaim the emotional side that has been closed off. I hope that makes sense. So the first statement here, and I encourage you, you can do this no matter what you're doing. Driving, sitting in your living room. I want you to articulate these, these statements to yourself after I speak them. And I'm just going to give it a little bit of space between each one so that it can settle into you a little bit. And I would actually encourage you, it's a little bit difficult to do this properly on air, but I would encourage you to write these things down. Write this list of 10 down and get quiet with yourself and really take the time and go through it properly. Because it, it can create a measurable shift in your life, if you will allow it to. So the first one around needs is simply, I have needs. I have needs. The next one, number two. And you may think that it's basically the first one, but it's a little bit different. It may reach a different part of you. Number two, it is important for me to acknowledge that I have needs. Number two, it is important for me to acknowledge that I have needs. It is important for me to acknowledge that I have needs. Number three. And like I said, this can be much better done by writing these down and taking some time away from this show to go through these deeply and thoroughly. Number three. It is important for me to reflect quietly on what my needs are. It is important for me to reflect quietly on what my needs are. Number four. It is important for me to express my needs clearly and respectfully. It is important for me to express my needs clearly and respectfully. And in order to express your needs clearly, you need to take time at number three to determine what they are in a specific sense. Number five, I don't have to apologize for having needs. 
I don't have to apologize for having needs. Number six, I don't have to feel guilty for having needs. I don't have to feel guilty for having needs. Number seven, it is important that I strengthen my ability for knowing and then clearly communicating my needs. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, ah, I don't need to do this. I'll just suck it up. But I would argue that you're actually less effective and less productive by not taking the time to acknowledge your needs. So number seven again, it is important that I strengthen my ability for knowing and then clearly communicating my needs. All right, number eight on our theme today, needs. Honoring my needs will improve my life and the lives of those around me. Number eight, again, honoring my needs will improve my life and the lives of those around me. Now you can see how all these are very closely tied together. Because in order for my needs to improve my life and also the lives of those around me, if I'm going around not honoring number four, which is expressing my needs clearly and respectfully, if I'm not expressing my needs respectfully, then I may just be a toxic ball running around expecting other people to bend to my my directives. That's not going to engage people. It's not going to draw support for your needs. And so this is why it takes time. It takes time to think about how to respectfully communicate your needs. Number nine. Sometimes needs must be negotiated when other people are involved. And, I would argue, even if our needs are just being, we're just communicating to ourselves about some specific things that that need to be honored within the relationship that we have with ourselves, Sometimes we have to bend as well. If you've set out to accomplish something in your life or do something and it's not quite working out the way that you would like it to and you've identified within that pursuit that you have some very important needs that need to be met and they're not being met, then you need to renegotiate the terms of that path that you're on. Which really leads to number 10. So I'll repeat number 9 again. Sometimes needs must be negotiated when other people are involved. And if it's just us in relationship with ourselves. 
So number 10, negotiating my needs means they can still be met in a meaningful and satisfying way. This is huge because oftentimes when we set out to do something or we seek to express a need to another person and if there's heavy emotion and and tension and surrounding that situation, then we often go into it feeling like, well, it's all or nothing. This is my need. If you can't honor and respect that, then we have nothing further to talk about. And that isn't exactly a negotiation. And it's certainly not a successful negotiation. So number 10, negotiating my needs means they can still be met in a meaningful and satisfying way. I'm going to go through this list one more time, a little bit quicker, but I want you to recognize that this applies to everything. Friendships, intimate relationships, the workplace, everything. Number one, I have needs. Number two, it is important for me to acknowledge that I have needs. Number three, it is important for me to reflect quietly on what my needs are. Number four, it is important for me to express my needs clearly and respectfully. Number five, I don't have to apologize for having needs. Number six, I don't have to feel guilty for having needs. Number seven, It is important that I strengthen my ability for knowing and then clearly communicating my needs. Number eight, honoring my needs will improve my life and the lives of those around me. Number nine, sometimes needs must be negotiated when other people are involved. And number 10, negotiating my needs means they can still be met in a meaningful way and satisfying way. So I want you to take some time and think about that and think about where in your life right now your needs are not getting met and you've shoved them down because you feel a sense of you've shoved them down because you feel a sense of helplessness and hopelessness because it's been so long and this person is not listening or responding in the way that you want them to. It's not easy either. This topic is not an easy one to unpack and look at and look at within ourselves deeply and acknowledge maybe what we've been ignoring and and we may have very good reasons to our, you know, in our minds why it's important to ignore this. But if it's driving you toward resentment, which is driving you back toward all the grudges that we talked about last week, then now you're Not only are your needs not getting met, but you're also becoming bitter. And you can try to tell yourself that it's not affecting you and you're just going to put it aside and go about your day. But I can tell you, you're being affected by it. If you haven't gracefully and actually let it go and felt a shift within yourself, a, a, a new lightness to your being, then it is affecting you still. And you can ignore it as long as you think you can but that's not necessarily going to make it go away. We will take a short break. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. 
Hello, I'm Tamara Cicerella, a counselor serving area residents who live with addictions or mental health concerns. Deeply committed workers like me assist people in reaching their recovery goals. On April 1st, Addictions and Mental Health Services in Kingston and Frontenac joins Lennox and Addington in offering confidential, quality services. Addictions Mental Health Services, Kingston, Frontenac, Lennox, and Addington is committed to providing the best possible services to all who need it. For more information in Kingston and Frontenac, call 613-544-1356 or in Lennox and Addington, 613-354-7388. Welcome back to Talk. I'm your host, Timmy G. Today's topic is needs. Having needs, acknowledging them, and figuring out a way to get those needs met without creating further problems for yourself or other people. If you have questions about this, or you want me to send you a copy of this list, just email me, info at forgivenessg.com. Also on that track, I have come out with a, a new album recently. If you want to check out the album, it can also be viewed at that same web address, info at forgivenessg.com. All 12 tracks are there. And Thursday evenings, MindWell Support Group happens at 1111 Taylor Kid Boulevard. That is St. Paul the Apostle Church, Room E. I've been facilitating this group for, well, we're in our third year. And it's going well. Anybody who shows up to the group, even once, will receive a complimentary copy of a book that I wrote, a memoir highlighting a journey that I had dealing specifically with uh, mental health issues. An episode that I had many years ago dealing with a lot of stress in life, and it took me down. I had a breakdown. And... I had to figure out how I was going to have a breakthrough and not get stuck and paralyzed and and stay anxious and depressed and and all these different things that were happening. So if you come to Mindwell even once, you will get a free copy of that book. And if you have any questions or you want to be interviewed on the show, please send me an email. Uh info at forgivenessg.com. That's the email. I think I misquoted the web address earlier. It's www.forgivenessg.com. And also, I'd like to take a short little poll here. We have a lot of listeners, huge listenership for CFRC, but individual shows, it's not as easy to get at that information. So I'm going to ask, if you do listen to talk, send me a short email. It would be helpful. For me to get a sense of whose ears this is reaching and whose lives it might be, uh, what lives it might be affecting. So again, you can send me a short email, info at forgivenessg.com, and just give me a quick shout out and say, yeah, I listen to the show, I check it out once a month, I listen to it every week, whatever it may be. That would be a tremendously helpful. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope our discussion on needs has been helpful. And if you want to uh, go back and listen to last week's episode, if you missed it, talking about grudges and how they build and how we must learn to let them go, just like we must learn to forgive in a grander sense with other situations in our life. You can go to the CFRC Podcast Network, search for that episode, and then 
use the list within this segment, 10 different things having to do with needs. Like I said, if you want to copy that, email me and I'll get you an attached copy of that. And you can go through it in your own time and begin to get a better sense of what your needs are and how you should go about articulating those needs. And if you want to go into that a little deeper, actually, in Mindwell this week, we will be looking at this topic again and going into some other directions as well. So hope to see you Thursday, 7 p.m., Rumi. 1111 Taylor Kid Boulevard. AMHS KFLA's Vocational Services connect employers with skilled workers recovering from mental health challenges. This free program offers individual assessments, job preparation training, and placement. Employers are matched with qualified, reliable workers and receive ongoing support for hires as they lead their lives in positive new directions. For more information, call 613-544-1356 or visit AMHS on CFRC 101.9 FM every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. You'll hear Finding a Voice. My name is Bruce, host of that poetry-focused spoken word program. On it, you'll hear local readings and events, occasionally telephoned interviews across Canada, and always a touch of music. Again, Finding a Voice, here every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Check it out. Hope to catch you there. If you like great music from the 60s and 70s and good covers, listen to Frankly Speaking, music to tickle your memory bones. On Fridays at 1 p.m. on CFRC Radio. This has been another edition of Talk with Timmy G on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. If you have any questions or feedback or would like to be featured on the show, please email me at info at timothydgauthier.com. That's info at timothydgauthier.com. Every Thursday from 7 to 8.30, I facilitate a free drop-in group called MindWell. It's a support group for anybody dealing with burnout, stress, anxiety. Again, that's every Thursday from 7 to 8.30. The address, 1111 Taylor Kid Boulevard at St. Paul the Apostle. Till next week, be smart, be safe.
In 2017, CFRC Radio celebrates 95 years of creating campus community radio in Kingston, Ontario. Over the last 95 years, CFRC's governance has evolved. Once supervised by Queen's University and later by Queen's Alma Mater Society, since 2014, CFRC has been an independent, self-governing, not-for-profit organization. Its board of directors has representation from Queen's University, the AMS and SGPS, CFRC Radio Club, and the Kingston community. Learn more about CFRC, Canada's longest-running campus and community radio station at CFRC.ca. Whatever you're going through, we're here for you. We are the Peer Support Centre, a confidential and non-judgmental drop-in space where you can come to talk to a fellow peer about anything at all. We have been supporting students at Queen's for at least 10 years now, and it wouldn't be the service we are today without the dedication and care of our amazing volunteers. We also wanted to thank you, Queens. Thank you for all the students for trusting us over the years with your stories and experiences and allowing us to help support you during your time here at Queens. University can be a challenging yet rewarding time, and we want students to know that we are here for them through the good times, the bad, and the in-between. Come stop by the Peer Support Center in JDUC Room 34. We are open seven days a week from noon to 10 p.m. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.